Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello, it's wonderful to be back today. I'm uh, really excited to share my guest with you today. My guest is also a podcaster, and I'll tell you a little bit about that as well. I have been on her show, and uh, I believe you're going to find uh, an awful lot of valuable information, not to mention the fact that that I think she's pretty cool. So without uh, further ado, let me give you a little bit about my guest, Janet Sandberg. Janet's a former goth punk girl with a dragon tattoo. I think that's so cool. She's now a Doc Martin wearing spiritual badass. What a great title. She's an intuitive channel, a coach, an energy master, and an author. She's also the host of the Phoenix Wisdom Podcast, which she started after a 23-year-old family friend ended her own life. After having survived many years of darkness and despair herself, Janet wanted to talk openly about the darkness by sharing inspiring stories from those of us who have made it out the other side and are now thriving, which is exactly why I wanted to bring Janet on the show today. Welcome. It's wonderful to have you here, Janet. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we have, there, there are so many things we can say really about you. Uh, I'm just, well, first of all, I want to say <laughs> on meeting you, I figured you were eh, maybe in your late twenties, honest to God. Okay. Oh gosh. <laughs> Now, we're not going to give anything away because not everybody's like me and, and is free sharing their, their age. However, we will say you have a 21-year-old child. And a 23-year-old. And a, Thank you. I was hoping you would add that, but I thought I'll go with the 21-year-old yes. because I don't want... <laughs> and, and I don't care sharing my age. I just had a birthday two weeks ago and I turned 51. Wow. Well... As I've said before, off camera, you are blessed with great genes. And uh, that, that in itself is pretty awesome. But all, all joking aside, I am really honored that you chose to come on the show today. And I know that this, this will be, I think, a very timely and very useful discussion. Because although we cover suicide survivors, ideation, and mental health, I think it's also important to share what you do on a daily basis. So without 
me going into anything, I'm going to let you take it away and you can start us wherever you'd like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That that's a big one, and and that is a big one. It is a it is a big one. One last thing I will say is I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, maybe we'll we'll start there. Um, so we lost a a family friend in September last year. Yeah. Um. So my son, uh, was best friends in sort of middle, middle school age with a boy, um, and it was his sister. Uh. So we knew um, my son's friend quite well, and of course, you know, families and all the boys, he has, he has a brother as well. Um, all the boys were in scouts together, and, you know, my ex-husband was involved in scouts, and so was their dad, and so, like, we had lots of interaction with their family. Yeah. Um, so although I didn't know her personally super well, we knew the family pretty well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was just this stunningly beautiful, ridiculously smart um, go-getter. You know, she she did all the things and you, I honestly had no idea that all of this was going on and that she struggled for half of her short life with depression and things. Um, and, and I think, and it's hard as a mom. And I think that was the thing was that her mom was like, it's not my story to tell. So she mm -hmm. kept it bottled up, but I also know that she had, she, the mom, had never gone through depression herself. Oh. So, you know, it. I don't know, there's there's no blame, obviously, no, no. but it's just, it's such a complicated situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, the daughter had, had gotten this great job and she moved halfway across the country. So she was, she was on her own and, and she, I, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but, um, you know, obviously she decided that life wasn't worth living anymore, despite, you know, all of us on the outside being like, but you, you know, you have so much potential and, you know, and, and again, because there wasn't a lot of sharing, I don't know what help she was getting or if she was medicated or, you know, any of, any of the details. Um, but nonetheless, it just shook me. She was missing for a couple of days. Ah. Um, and so we had time and, and she was an avid hiker. She lived in Colorado. So there, there could have been a lot of things. She went off for a hike by herself. Yeah. She, you know, who knows? Yeah. You know, had an accident or, or something. Right. Um, which was honestly where, where I thought things were, it never occurred to me. My daughter was a little wiser being of that age. And yeah. she was like, mm -mm. she was like, that's, and, um, you know, because of my gifts, when, when she was missing, I tried to tune in with her and the impression that I got was that she had passed, but I just was unwilling to go there. Like, I was like, nope, that was wrong. 
<laughs> my gifts are wrong. I'm not good at this. You know, like I just oh, wow. blamed my, I, I was like, no, that's, that's, I'm just, you know, um, and of course I wasn't wrong. No, no, I wasn't wrong. It's so interesting. I'm just going to stop you there for a second, because I think this is really a critical point for all of us. When we are, when we tune in to spirit or, or our own intuition, it's so human when we get that deep knowing for us to assume we are wrong. It was easier to believe. Exactly. It was exactly. easier to believe that I was wrong than that she was no longer with us. It was preferable to believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, her, her death shook me. I'd never known anyone who had taken their own life before because she's the same age as my kids. Oh, yeah. It was really upsetting. It was really upsetting for my kids. Like my daughter was shaken for a long, long time and yeah. grieved and, you know, went through a lot of stuff. They weren't even close, you know, and yeah. So, and, and she was the reason that I started my own podcast. And I'm like, we have to, the fact that I didn't know that I knew so much about her family and I didn't know, I was like, we have to talk about this stuff, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a common thread when we lose young people, that people just, everybody around who were, was close, the family, the friends, the, the family of the friends are in shock. It's what you're saying, you, you don't know what happened. This is the saddest thing for me is because this is what happens and this is to me part of what perpetuates the incredible rate of suicide that we are seeing is because we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't make it more normal. We don't make, and by normal, I mean, we don't normalize the conversation of, are you struggling? Is there something we can offer? We, no matter how much you love your children and the other people in your family, that why I brought up the piece about it's easier, it's more comfortable for us to shy away from the knowing of these things. And as humans, uh, I, think, I think we need to change that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's having, having been in, in dark places myself, like you don't want to talk about it when you're there, which makes yeah. it the whole situation hard to start with. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, you might share with a couple of people very close to you, but if they don't have the tools, yeah. then you're not, getting the help like you need to talk to the people who know and the people who who can offer you the support even if it's just understanding and knowing that you're not alone which yeah. is a whole yeah. big thing because that's the trick of of the brain when we're in that space is we feel like we're the only person who has ever felt this way ever in the history of humankind yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody yeah. will ever understand these feelings 
That's so absolutely true. true. Yeah. So we don't want to tell anybody. We don't want to burden our people, our friends, our family, you know, and, and it's that that's the trick of, of this whole particular side of mental health. Yes. Is that the, the illness or the, the state of being itself prevents us from getting the help that we need yeah. and then it just perpetuates further. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. And, and yeah, the perpetuation because it has always been such a big taboo and because generation after generation either covers things up, mm-hmm. they don't talk about it, they don't share or they don't acknowledge what actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that really does happen a lot. Um, what what I what I'd like to do, if we can expand on who you are and what you do, uh, in light of this, and and just in general, please give us a little bit more information about your gifts and how you came to be able to explore and utilize those gifts for others. Um, all right. So I, the, the first thing that I ever noticed, um, I was probably, I was pretty young, like three or four years old. Um, and, um, you know, I, I would notice a certain thing happening usually when I was like in a zone normally, which for me was sitting in front of the TV and coloring. And that was, you know, it's, and even still med- coloring is very meditative. Right? Yeah. So, so I was, I was in the zone and um, for me, it felt like somebody would take hold of my head and force me to turn my head and look in a certain direction. And I would be like, that's weird. <laughs> I would go back to coloring. Yeah. And it would happen several times that like my head would just move of its own accord sort of to look, but I didn't know I was a kid. I didn't know what else to do. Once I was looking there, I was like yeah. this is weird. And I, but I knew enough that, I knew this didn't happen to other people. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and kind of that was it. And it happened off and on, you know, as I, as I grew up. And then when I was a teenager, when I was around in grade 10, so 15, 16, um, I met a girl and became really good friends with her. And her mom was like a new age hippie kind of uh-huh. lady. And she knew about auras and crystals. Oh. And, um, you know, this is like pre-internet days. We had yeah. no, no way of figuring these things out or learning about them unless you met somebody who knew about these things. So that was my first introduction to, and I was just fascinated. And um, my friend and I used to go downtown Toronto to the occult bookstore and find find the books and we couldn't afford to buy any of them we just hang around in store and look at them yeah. and and learn um and then I got really into crystals ah. uh, and so that was kind of my first um dive into the world of energy um, yeah. was 
learning about crystals, collecting crystals, feeling the energies that they had and, and using them for different things. I got into, you know, making elixirs and um, doing, doing all sorts of things with crystal healing. Um, and then when I was in my 30s, uh, a friend learned about Reiki. Uh, her husband um, had cancer and they had found about it out about it at a cancer support place. Um, and she's like, this is right up your alley. Like you would love this. Like <laughs> you need to. And then she was going to take a class um, and it didn't work out for me to take the class, but eventually I did. And as soon as I took that first Reiki class, I was like, oh my God, this is my life. Like this is how I have experienced the world my entire life. It's all been energy. Um, and I just didn't know. And then from there, it was just like down the rabbit hole of, of energy healing and learning all sorts of different methods and techniques. And um, and then I figured out what the mediumship, what the head turning thing was. Yeah. That was somebody on the other side trying to get my attention because they had a message to give me. Um, and then I figured out how to tune in and get those messages Um and, and then eventually to, to seek them out for, for me to be the one asking. Um, and yeah. And then the, you know, the more, the more you do, the better you get. And then the more open yeah. you become. And then I started channeling and, um, which is receiving messages from <laughs> spiritual consciousness. So, you know, like Abraham Hicks, she's Esther is kind of the most famous channel we have right now. Yes. And she channels Abraham. Um, and I, I channel a, a collective like Abraham and as well as um, messages from people's souls, messages from just spirit source in general. So yeah, that's what I do. Lots, lots of things. Um, that, that is lots of using things. All of those pieces in, coaching people and helping them to yep. tune into their own souls, lead a soul-led life, create soul-based soulmate relationships, um, and just, you know, be, be happy and healthy. Absolutely. I, I think that's so critically important. And it always fascinates me when I see people who, who have migrated, if you will, to, exploring energy and utilizing all the gifts that they have they often have come from a very different path rather than you know sort of straight down oh well you know we just a b c d but you know i said in the beginning that that you're you're a goth girl with a dragon tattoo and goth people tend to think goth they think emo they think it's it's not uh, brightness and light. It's it's a little more, you know, feely, dour, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, what precipitated precipitated the the shift into much more light? And and is there still a little bit of you that's goth? Oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. There's a. Gothic punk. I was never like, I was never full goth, um, but I liked a lot of that music. Okay. And I would go to goth clubs and, you know, had friends who were, who were goth. Um, I also 
you know, dabbled in punk. Um, and, you know, fashion wise, I was just eclectic mix of everything. Um, I could never commit to like one <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of, I think a lot of it was, was the music. I, I don't express emotion. Well, I was never taught to, I was never allowed to, um, as previously discussed, the, <laughs> the waspy heritage, yes. <laughs> um, doesn't allow us to have or express emotions. So as a teenager, especially like I had all of these emotions, I didn't know what to do with them. So I listened to really loud, really angry music. Yeah. Yeah. And I danced. And that was how I got rid of all of that. I went to dance clubs like in my teens and well, as soon as I was allowed to. Late teens, early 20s, um, like three, four nights a week. Yeah. Like that, that's that's what saved me from. Yes the the darkness yes. at that point in my life um and then once i lost that um that outlet yeah yeah then everything started <laughs> closing in and 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 getting darker and and two things there there i kind of want to explore it's, um i've talked about this before but the, the animals uh, shake off the cortisol and the other things that run through us when we're afraid, when we have high emotion, you know, animals will stop the minute the danger is over and they shed that by a, a full body shimmy, if you will. Mm -hmm. Humans don't have that, but listening to you talk about the, the angry music, it, a lot of, of kids that got into punk and goth. And that was the whole point. They were finding a way to deal with those emotions because as you said, um, emotions are not a British thing. We, we, we do not do that. <laughs> One of the many things. And I think it's, I think it's really, uh, it, it's such a, but I think part of your gifts were to intrinsically understand you had to dispense with this because emotions, as we now know, are meant to flow and go. Mm -hmm. They're not meant to stay in, in our, our bones, to, to stay within our visceral self. Because that is, I think, what causes an awful lot of the, what we call, dis-ease. It's, yes. it's having, mm -hmm. you know, all of that jammed inside. Mm -hmm. You know, for, it's like trying to go shopping after not buying anything for a month and carry everything in your hands. Right. <laughs> you kind of need a shopping cart for that. We need to put it somewhere else. And as humans, we're not often, not all of us are, are good at doing that. Right. Yeah. So how did you lose that outlet? Like what was it age and, and responsibility or, or what, what precipitated I, again, you moving into a, another phase? I moved abroad. 
Um, so I moved to Germany and um, just the, the, the music was different. The people were different. Uh, there was one, one club that I really liked, um, but none of the people that I met there, I took them there one time and they were like, what, what is this place? You like coming here? <laughs> Didn't go over really well. So no, no. I would go by myself sometimes, but yes. just a different, different lifestyle. Um, and, and yeah, just different, different people. Um, and hard. Then, yeah. And then just, just life. Like by then I was in my mid twenties and yeah, life happened and, <laughs> and I continued to, to move abroad and live in different countries. And so I yeah. never really had any stability in that sense. Okay. So, yeah. Eventually you age out of the club scene as well. So this, this well, hopefully, <laughs> um, in developing your gifts and, and moving into them, so to speak, that must have been one, a, a huge relief, but you, you said oh, it was in your 30s mm -hmm. that you made the change. Looking back, do you think that was probably the very best time? I've never thought about it. Um, it just, it just happened. <laughs> so there wasn't really any, any thought around it. Okay. Um, it was just like, I, I learned, I learned Reiki and, and everything. And I was just like, oh, I can use all of this experience that I have and, and the way that I, that I experience the world and I can use it to help people. Um, so I have to do that. Like it, it wasn't even a thought to keep it for myself. I was like, I have to use this to help yeah. people. So, so I did. Um, <laughs> little did I know that about having a business or, or anything. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, you just hang up your sign and there you go. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that easy. It's not. And, you know, as they say, the, you know, starting a business is, is the biggest personal development yeah. growth that you will ever undertake. So that is absolutely true. Oh, absolutely. But I continue to learn, learn more and, and practice more, learn more about myself and all of that along the way. But you would definitely say that even with the learning curve and with all that you had to go through to learn that, it's still, I think, your your best life when you follow your purpose. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, I absolutely love what I do when I'm working with clients. Like, everything is fantastic. You know, it's just, that's, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's, that's me when I, that's when I get to be my best self. That's a really, really good point. And I just wanted to make the point for the audience that sometimes people think, oh, I don't know if I'm following my purpose. Like I've got to do all this mundane stuff. I've got to, you know, put things together and, and like you said, create a business and, and, and do things that I don't really want to do. And it doesn't mean you're not following your purpose, 
but as humans we we have structure we we have to have some kind of structure for for us to work at our top capacity to be able to fully commit and fully enjoy what we do mm-hmm. and do you find that over time because you put those structures in place has it made everything else easier in what sense um easier in being able to more fully serve your customers because you took care of the necessary pieces when you did oh yes yeah yes definitely yeah yeah I'm, I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not real good with structure. Um, so <laughs> that's that's because I'm I'm the energy. Like I just I flow where things where I want to go. And yeah, stru- structure and routine are uh, really hard for me. But it also I also know at this point that it really really helps when you have those things. Yeah, and and that that was my whole point. Even when we're not good at structure, and yeah, put me just just when you say the word structure, my insides cringe because mm-hmm. I'm not good at that. But understanding that it's required and accepting that, I think, gives you more room to do what you really want to do. Yes. But as Esther would say, you're not swimming against the current. Exactly. Yeah. Go with the flow. <laughs> it sometimes takes us a little longer to get that message. Some mm-hmm. of us anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what do your kids think about your goth past? Um, I don't think they think anything in particular. <laughs> Um, when, when they came along, like I, I stopped for better or for worse. I stopped listening to that kind of music around them when they were little. Um, I didn't think it was like super appropriate for small children. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I get that. And also it's really hard to listen to goth and punk and industrial and like all of that music at like a, a nice volume. Yeah. <laughs> like it has to be on like nine or ten to re- yeah. like you have to feel yeah. it. Um yes. And so that also was not good for the kids. So no, no. So you know, they yeah. And there's there's not really because of the time period, there's not really any pictures of me from oh. back then. Okay. Um like dressed up to go clubbing or yeah, yeah. You know, just yeah. Pictures a regular pictures. Tuesday night, so we're not taking pictures. Yeah, pictures weren't such a big thing before. Yeah, um, not not like it is now. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, they know that I'm weird in a lot of ways, so it's not really surprising that I was like I've always been that way. So that makes you, as as my friends uh, Dave Rendell and and Stan Phelps would say, that makes you flossom. Uh-huh. Which is a really good thing, but yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting to note that 
you needed that angst and anger and loudness and and cacophony, if you will, and, and volume at that time. But when you moved on, it was because you didn't need that anymore. I still needed it. I just wasn't getting it. Oh, oh, well, now that's interesting. So in hindsight, would you have moved on a different way or have you in fact found a different musical outlet to deal with the feelings we Brits don't have or show that we have? Um, I mean, I, I still love like going to, to concerts, to live music because it's loud and you can feel it. Um, you know, I'll still crank the stereo in my car um, so that, you know, the mirrors are shaking and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I don't, I don't, I think it's just become less of a habit Ah. to, cause like I live by myself now, like I can have the stereo blasting all the time. Right. Um, right. And, or, you know, live by myself and or with my husband who also loves music and wouldn't mind if I had the stereo cranked all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think for so many years, not doing it when the kids were little, it just kind of got me, got me out of the habit. Um, yeah. but I think it, I think it would, it, it would do me a lot of good to, to do that. But also, also some of it is like, it's, you know, it's the same music. Like I would love for those genres to still be making music in the same yeah. way. So there would be new yeah. stuff to feed me. Oh yeah. Um, but that's, that's not how the world works. So. No, no, things do move on even when we don't. <laughs> yeah. And what, what do your kids listen to? <laughs> My son doesn't listen to music. Oh, wow. Um, occasionally he'll listen to like bardcore um which is you can only find it online but it's like it's like i don't know like bard like old-fashioned well, yeah like yeah, historical like, music um or like viking songs and you know yeah stuff. yeah yeah uh, he's he, he's often is doing his own thing uh, but he doesn't listen to popular music. Um, my daughter listens to a lot of like indie stuff that's very soft. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and it's funny. It's yeah. funny how often our kids will go the opposite extreme of, of what we were, what we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite fascinating to, examine other people's musical tastes to figure out kind of where they came from. Did you grow up in a household with a lot of music? Yes. And it was all country. Ah, okay. Okay. But yeah, there was, there was always music around. Yeah. My, my mother sang and um, you have heard nothing until you have heard Madonna's 
like a virgin with a heavy Scottish accent. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my father found Willie Nelson in about, I would think, the late 90s. I'd never heard country. Like country for for us was Scottish country dancing, was was bagpipes. I grew up with bagpipes always. Same. Yeah. And and there's a, a good cacophony if you you want to stir up emotion and not have to have it. You can just have it run through you. <laughs> well, I did I did um competitive highland dancing when I was in my 30s. So Oh, did you? Oh, that's <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. So because I'd always loved the bagpipes. Yeah. And probably for that same reason, it's just like it it goes for right the people who don't appreciate it it's just noise yeah because there's so many different notes being oh my drone. god it's yeah and, and it's it, like feedback and... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know when you go to the the punk shows there's always feedback happening always the fe- yeah it kind of drone in the bagpipe is kind of the same goes thing. through you yeah i danced as well because my aunt was a, a teacher she taught highland fling and all of the reels and you name it uh, when I was a child. So it was, uh, it was kind of de rigueur in our house to, to have music. I don't think my mother could breathe if there wasn't music somewhere. And I'm total opposite. I work in silence. I, I, I don't have the radio on during the day. I don't like, I don't like background noise when I'm working. Same. Yeah. And it's funny when when I get into where I feel I need to get let my feelings go and get out. For me now, it's Les Mis. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I blast Les Mis. I've seen it probably 40 times. Oh, wow. I, I worked at the Art Center in Ottawa for, for some time. And... Um, Many, many years ago, I did the cast and crew closing party for the Canadian tour um, for David Ned Mervish out of Toronto um, here in Ottawa. And uh, it, it was just phenomenal. Talk about incredibly talented people. And I think I appreciate the talent because I couldn't carry a tune from here to the door in a bucket. <laughs> yeah. That's how it is sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to to your your gifts and maybe any messages from source on how we can go forward and work on this common issue we have with the silence around suicide. Hmm. Interesting question. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Oh, that's okay. I didn't even warn you I was going to do that. No, you didn't. I didn't know. So continue to do what we're doing. Just talk about it. Um, feel it. Feel what is the question? 
feel other people's pain um, and allow allow them to express it. But I think that's that's the big thing on us is that we, I mean, not personally, but as a as a whole, we see people who are hurting, and we like like with my my message about about Kate, you know, like I knew she had passed, and I was just unwilling to believe it. And I think it's the same thing. We see people who are hurting and we're like, oh, it's, it's probably, they're, they're fine. Yeah. Or they, they said they're fine. Yeah. So we're, we've stopped using our own empathy and compassion and those senses to connect to other people, um, to keep ourselves safe, but we need that connection to be able to help other people. And that's, that's what's missing. That's what, what source is saying that we need to feel other people. We need to, you know, take down that wall that's between us and them and be more open and receptive to what people are saying. How are they saying it? When they say I'm fine, are they fighting back tears? You know, when they say I'm fine, is that, is that it? Do they go on telling you? Like if it's just, a, oh no, I'm fine, end of story, they're probably not fine. If they're fine, then they're going to tell you about all the good things that are going on. You know, it's about using your your own intuition and connection to, con to connect <laughs> to other people and make sure your people are okay. Don't just go at face value of what they're saying or the part that they're letting you see. That's so perfectly on point. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, you with your goth punk and and me with Les Mis and, and years ago, all kinds of like weirdly alternate bands not wanting to feel. Then you immediately put on the blinders so that you don't feel from others mm -hmm. we have to i think also start to accept that we feel mm -hmm. and let it be okay but again i think we have to normalize the fact that we need to talk about this yes. we're making little steps people are starting to men are starting to have feelings and and acknowledge that they do so we're making little steps but i think we we need to make a little more effort to feel ourselves, to let ourselves feel so that we can be open to those around us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned from, from myself um, in, in later days and in therapy was that unexpressed anger turns into sadness when you keep it bottled up, it just, and then, and then it's just, then you're, you're angry, but you're also sad and everything gets turned inward. Yeah. Um, and it just drags you down. Yeah. And all that turned inward is never good. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you're drowning in it yeah. and, and yeah, then it's despair and hopelessness and, you know, and, and when that's all you're feeling all day, every day, 
you know, like it, you know, and, and I've been there too. Like, what is the point? Yes. Yeah. What is the point? Like if, if every day is going to be like this, what is the point? There is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you need, you need those outlets and those people you need to be able to talk about it. You need to be able to express your emotions and, um, even if it's not to a person, even if it's just, you know, like going out and dancing or, you know, get it out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Allow yourself to, to, yeah, let, let it go. Yeah. And dancing is such a perfect example of just allowing yourself total abandon, Mm -hmm. you know, and you may be doing it in your room, but for me, I think too, once once we do that, the next step is to reach out and talk to someone else, mm-hmm. anyone else. Don't keep things bottled up mm-hmm. because that that to me it is the ultimate self-betrayal. Yes. And one of the things for me too, because I do this kind of work, like I'm a, I'm one of my titles as a healer. Um, So I was very reluctant. I was like, oh, I can handle this myself. I can help myself or I can, you know, use my, my friends who are healers. I can get them to help me. Um, And... (laughs) It, it wasn't enough, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, we just, we need that extra help. Like being medicated was the best thing that I have ever done. It completely changed my life. Like I went from darkness and hopelessness and despair and what I call despair attacks. Yeah. So I would just be hit. I would cry. Like, like everything was just coming out in tears and I spent whole days crying and um yeah no just not knowing why why I was still putting myself through this you know um and then and I had tried with supplements and I had tried like all all the things because I was so reluctant to be which I had tried antidepressants like 10 years ago or so yeah and I it I don't know. It probably wasn't the right dosage and yeah. medication has come a long way in the last oh, year. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it was yeah. a different thing. I'm on the right medication at the right dosage. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's a whole thing, but it's also giving up that control and mm-hmm. admitting that, you know, maybe there's a physiological reason as well, yeah. you yeah. know, and for me that, that seems to be true. Like there's, my brain doesn't produce the things it needs to produce. I also um, don't absorb iron out of my diet. Uh, and you need iron to make dopamine. Yeah. Serotonin. So like, you know, there's, yeah. there's reasons sometimes where it's not just like on the surface. Well, if I just learn to express my emotions, I'll be fine. Um, sure. That's going to help. <laughs> help a lot. Yeah. But also sometimes there's more to it. And when you start talking to doctors, if you get a good one who will actually listen to you. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> and if you can actually get in to see one in Canada. Funny um, enough, I was talking to some people earlier today and the U.S. is exactly the same thing. You know, the pandemic really took uh, took down the numbers for doctors mm -hmm. and and family doctors. The numbers are abysmal now because those that are doctors are going for specialties in order to survive. Yeah, because family doctors just don't make enough to make it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, but. But yeah, know, know that it's the way you're feeling isn't necessarily caused by one thing. Yes. Like like everything in life, every you get little bits and pieces that all come in to form a yeah. picture, a whole. Yeah. Um, and so explore, explore, try, try different things. Well, that, that's a really, really good point. And, and for me, it's always with talk to someone else. Mm -hmm. No person is an island. And I'm here to say at 67, it may have taken me 57 years to figure that one out. But the fact is then it's never too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I wanna say thank you so much for coming on the show. It, it has been all and more that I thought it would be with you today. Um, some some really uh, good information and thank you. I I'm sorry I put you on the spot there. Oh, that's okay. Uh, it just it just came. I had to ask, and and now I I know why it was important to to get that view and understand that that we do have to take down that wall and be better at actually listening to those around us. Mm -hmm. Make that effort. Yeah. Well, I wanna say thank you so much, Janet. I really appreciate having you on the show. You will find all the information that you need about Janet and reaching Janet and all of her social links, etc., on her page on along with her episode on Suicide Zen Forgiveness. I want to thank the audience for participating today. And I want to say, <clears throat> excuse me, as always, make the very best of your today every day. And we're going to see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.